This episode of Neo Reality Collective is brought to you by The Everyday Fan. Check out their content and a passionate group of content creators getting together to create content for the, for the growing community of pop culture, fan base, fandoms, and especially sports such as football, basketball, baseball, professional wrestling, and MMA fantasy sport. Control your content and share your story around the world today. The Neo Reality Entertainment brand expands with a relaunch of the Neo Reality Collective Pop Culture News Talk. Your host, Eric Brown, gives his insights and thoughts in the ever-expanding news world of comic books, professional wrestling, gaming, TV, and movies. Be sure to donate to the brand and keep up to date with additional content on YouTube channels such as Neo Reality Entertainment, NRE The Wrestleverse, and NRE Pop Culture Omniversa. Welcome back, everyone, to Neo Reality Collective. I am your host, Eric Brown, and today, oh boy, some news, 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 and we get an update on the comic book industry to kick things off. First and foremost, the new Iron Man series that's being made by, by Gary Duggan after the conclusion of Christopher Cantwell's Tony Stark Iron Man series after the anniversary 650th issue, officially. Uh, Cantwell's story will deliver a major bombshell in Tony Stark's life that forms the crux of the relaunched Invincible Iron Man series in December 2022. And in fact, according to the reports, uh, in fact, Tony may be facing his own version of Matt Murdock's perilous journey in Daredevil Born Again. So they managed to get the incoming ride. IGN was able to get an interview with uh, Gary Duggan, who currently who written Deadpool and X-Men, about his plans for the new series, and talks about that there's a that they're going to be introducing essentially they're essentially gonna give Lex Luth they're gonna give uh, their own version of Lex Luthor, which I have multiple questions again about that. I was already thinking like and also would it be the demon in a bottle story that was Tony Stark's um, brawn again moment or his addiction to alcoholism? <sighs> okay. And Tony Stark is also going to be writing his own autobiography. Yay! So, uh, yeah. <laughs> Though, every time when I think of Tony St- Tony Stark having his own Lex Luthor, I was thinking, wait, isn't that, like, his alternate superior Iron Man form? Like, that's usually the one I think of every time I think of superior. And, well, Tony Stark is known for his egotistical rays, and if he ever goes back to being superior Iron Man, which was never established how they ended it, since... Secret Wars happened, and then they never addressed how on earth did he go back to being regular old Tony Stark instead of becoming, well, staying as superior. No response? Okay. So, yeah. (laughs) Sam... Tony's attempts to chronicle his life story will provide an early framing device for the series, one that will allow Duggan and Fergie to revisit iconic moments of his career as a superhero. Well, an issue on will kick things off will look back on Iron Man's origin. I mean, like, we're already going to do that with Judgment Day, so... yeah. 
saying that we'll see many classic eras and iconic honors to make appearances as the series gets underway, saying one of the things I think we always love about Iron Man is what is he wearing, what is the armor doing, what's the new thing, and part of the th new things is seeing some of the old toys in new ways. And so I think the armor we will go back to first seeing into is the Silver Centurion armor. But as Tony is writing down his story, it allows you hopefully some effortless flashbacks because there are a lot of armors that I love to get to do. So the stealth armor is a must. Always oh, each train of the suitcase armor and putting together the armors in, in midair, getting sucked out of a plane, and there was that really cool undersea armor. What about Superior Iron Man armor? That was awesome. Like made out of symbiote genetics. Like, now that I think about it, why didn't Tony Stark didn't use that in his in, in the King of Black event? That would have actually been interesting now that I think about it. So, yeah, maybe we'll see Superior Iron Man one day again, or maybe, you know, we'll bring in an actor to play him in the MCU in the alternate universe, because there was word going around that he that Tom Cruise was going to play the character. They even had a scene idea written for him, according to them, but, like, everything was all, that was all in the planning phase. Not like, uh, hey, uh, do you want to do this? No. Okay. Meanwhile, on Netflix, The Crown will premiere on Season 5 on November 9th. Yeah. It will show... And a teaser for the image, it shows an ominous crack in a pilot's wall, and... Yeah. Season 6 of the show has already been in production... But after the death of Queen Elizabeth, the production was believed to be paused, saying the crown is a love letter to the late queen, and I have nothing to add for now, just silence and respect. I expect we will stop spilling out of respect, too, the creator Peter, Peter Morgan said. So, I don't know how to feel about that idea, the idea that they're just going to stop talking about the chronically life of Queen Elizabeth, like there's so much stuff to tell, even in her later years, so I'm not sure if they're going to, I don't know if they're going to stop completely, but we'll see. Meanwhile, David Benioff and D.B. Weiss have announced that they're returning into the world of television with Netflix's sci-fi action, with the next big sci-fi event, uh, <laughs> called Three-Body Problem from the Game of Thrones showrunners coming next year. So, three-body problems described in the clip as a history of humanity from the point of first contact with an alien civilization all the way to the end of the universe. The team is excited about the ambitious storytelling and bereft and scope of the novels by Lu Xin. First announced in 2020, the show is an adaptation of the award-winning book trilogy Three-Body Problem, Remembrance of Earth's Past, and will be the story of humanity's first contact with an alien civilization, portraying a vision of the future that sees all humanity vulnerable to the same external threat. The show will feature Benedict Wong, a.k.a. Wong from the MCU, Isia Gonzalez, I can't pronounce Shang-Chi in the Legend of the Ten Rings actor name, John Bradley, who was in Game of Thrones, Liam Cunningham, and also Game of Thrones, and tons and tons of more. And the first confirmed director was Oscar-nominated Hong Kong director Derek Sung, so, yeah... And here's the thing, I get the feeling that David Benioff and D.B. Weiss will knock it out of the park because here's the thing I said to people on Twitter, and I've said this before also. They are good at adapting material that they that's already been made for them. They did so well with Game of Thrones, but when they 
kept going past the books, everything started to fall apart, and they had to come up with original content based on loose notes from George R. R. Martin's stuff, even though he was advocating that they extend the series to 10 seasons, and, you know, so he could finish the book and they can get a proper finale. That wasn't the case, and, well, we got what we got, and now House of the Dragon has to pick up the slack. Anyway... And that I even said, like, I would like it if David Benioff and D.B. Weiss did do a Knights of the Old Republic series or a Old Republic era storytelling featuring the ancient Sith and the Jedi and the Republic because they, well, original content is not their forte, it seems. They are good at adapting storytellings and whatnot, so they could do that. So, yeah, I feel like they could have been, they would have been great Star Wars directors if they were given that chance instead of being told to go shove it after the Game of Thrones debacle. But we'll have to see one day if they'll ever get that chance to do a Star Wars movie. (laughs) Or series. Meanwhile, there's going to be a be a new Christmas Day, December 25th anniversary surprise part of Netflix's Tundum event, they announced The Witcher Blood Origin spinoff. I am not kidding. Like, that <laughs> we got a new holiday classic, like how Daredevil, in fact, Daredevil, uh, not Daredevil, not, um, Die Hard was given. <laughs> so, Yeah. It will stop. It will also a cameo-nominated actress, Minnie Driver, will be joining the cast. We also got a new teaser image that showed off a cross axe and dagger, both fire with blood, and the arms holding each weapon with sport a wolf tattoo and a bird tattoo, respectively. While we didn't learn too much about Driver's character, it was revealed that she will play a pivotal role in connecting Blood Origin to the main Witcher series. Sophia Brown, who will play Ellie, and Lawrence. Uh, O'Fran, uh, who will play Fagil, also shares some fun facts of this for the series, including the instrument Ellie will play in the show is based off of, I can't pronounce that, I will not try. Furthermore, showrunner Declan wrote four songs alongside composer Bear McCree. McCurry. So, yeah, this is part of the whole set. It's set 1,200 years before the events of the mainline Witcher series, and the six-episode Blood Origin will focus on the, how the first Witcher was created and the events that led to the pivotal conjunction of the spheres when the worlds of monster men and elves merged to become one. Aside from... And a teaser was showed, uh, showed about M- Michelle Yeoh in action. Aside from that, we'll also see Sophia Brown as Ellie, an elite warrior turned nomadic musician, and a host of other new characters, including Marion Mack as Merwin. It sounds like Marilyn, but still. Lenny Henry as Balor, and Dalen Moran as, starring as a character named... <laughs> oh, God, it's two times in a joke. <laughs> One nut. Wow. Also, speaking of The Witcher, it will be arriving next summer as part of the Tundum event in 2023. Yay! Meanwhile, Xbox has announced that Project Amplify is announces Project Amplify, a scheme to support black youth in the gaming industry. Alongside teaser, the first details were shared on Xbox Wire by black communities at Xbox co-leads Q or like I, I can't 
pronouncing James Lewis, and they began discussing the results of a recent survey from historically black colleges and universities. Connect that discovered out of 200 respondents, 95% of those college students and alumni from HBCUs in the U.S. had an interest in a career in the gaming industry. 44 said they wanted project management roles, 24% wanted engineering, 18 wanted game development roles. These numbers tell a story about the lack about black students wanting to join the industry. <laughs> With the reality paints a different picture as only 2% of the professionals in the video game industry are black compared to 13% of the U.S. population. Project Amplify wants to change this and will feature, be featuring 14 black employees from across Xbox as they share advice, insights into their current roles, and highlights from their time within the gaming industry. The hope is Black Amplify will educate black youth and beyond about many roles that make up the gaming industry and show them that they can be part of it. I'm like, don't join Activision Blizzard currently. That's a terrible idea, but okay. So we got some testimonials from those who grew up and didn't have much vision about their careers and time at their college years from various employees. In all of this new initiative, Xbox has partnered with 2022 Revolt Summit AT&T for an event on September 24th and 25th to reach students through panels, networking opportunities, and more. So, yeah, they're trying to be more diversified. I can believe this more because... Um, the, the current head of Xbox hasn't done anything to lead us astray currently, but, um, but yeah, uh, yeah, uh, this is corporations. I'm not going to be surprised if something dark comes out about this. Also, Black Panther Wakanda Forever will look to answer how we move on despite insurmountable odds as part of the Empire magazine that came out this week. Uh, they'll deal with the ta- tragic loss of Ch- Chadwick Boseman, and and he said the question, which even helped form a version of the film that was spiritually very similar to the sequel before Boseman's passing, became even more meaningful after the actor's death and the onset of COVID-19. So, this is what I said. When they released that trailer, I was like, we had a conveyed story from that. Like, the story of how how a kingdom moves forward after the death of their ruler, the process of grieving, two nations at war, because Namor is the Namor, uh, and who will succeed him as the next Black Panther. We're still on the idea that we're going to see his sister take over the role, but I wouldn't be surprised if they start doing advertisements to say who is the next Black Panther. Since that is not a, uh, since that's a title held down from generation to generation. And... (sighs) Yeah, so... I do get what they're trying to go for here is seeing how one nation can move on from, well, T'Challa's passing in the in the main Marvel Cinematic Universe. We'll never see that kind of vibing game in the comic book world because it's comic books. Though that would be interesting if they did that route, but it's like the chance of doing that is like killing off Joker for a time and never and bringing him back, bringing him back after a huge break. But, um, yeah... We still have some more details going on with Black Panther, including Namor especially, but we'll get back to that in a little bit. Meanwhile, Oxen Oxen Free 2 Lost Signals has sadly been delayed to 2023 to make it has been delayed in order to make Let Night School Studios' best game yet. Shared an update saying that it was to 
in part due to wanting to make it truly special and add more localizations. So, say, we owe it to our music community to make Oxenfree 2 Lost Signals the best game you could possibly release. Seeing your fan art, reading your sad comics, connecting you to with your fuels our ambition to make this the best game yet. To make it truly special and more localizations, we're moving our release window to 2023. Thank you for your patience, support, and understanding. We can't wait to share the game with you. Stay tuned. It was originally set for release in 2021 on Nintendo Switch, PS4, PS5, and Steam. It will serve as a sequel to their five years after the events of the original 2016 drama. Then it got delayed, and all that disaster happened. <laughs> so take that what you will. And remember Avatar, the movie by James Cameron that just won't stop. <sighs> Avatar won bet the global weekend box office 13 years after its debut thanks to the remaster re-release to coincide for the long awaited Avatar The Way of Water on December 16, 2022 <sighs> I really don't care about that movie Meanwhile, James Earl Jones. <laughs> James Earl Jones. So, remember the legendary voice actor known for his um, Darth Vader voice? Well, after multiple, 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 multiple years and how the Obi Wan Kenobi series handled it, James Earl Jones has signed off on AI recreations of his Darth Vader voice as he looks to step back from the iconic role. The news comes via a report from Vanity Fair about how the Ukrainian tech workers at Respecter, Respeacher, worked to make Darth Vader sound like he did 45 years ago for Disney Plus's Obi-Wan Kenobi, despite, you know, what's going on in the Ukraine. Jones' voice has obviously changed over the years, and he has stepped back from the role, so bringing an AI tech into work to keep the voice, as we all know and love, for many years to come. Okay... Like, here's the thing. People have become increasingly mixed about it. I mean, like, at least the Darth Vader one is understandable because, well, you know, he's more machine now than man. You at least could understand why Vader's voice was... Like, but you also got that distinction, like, there's something off about his voice. I can't tell for certain. And, yeah, we found out why how he was actually using, how they were using AI algorithm technology to recreate the voice of Darth Vader because the actor who played, who voiced him is 91 years old. And ask him to keep coming back to do for Darth Vader impersonations was clearly never going to be a, Darth Vader voice talk is never going to be a thing that's going to last forever. Granted, I would try to find someone who could also mimic Jane Gerald Jones' voice because there are people that can do that and there are people in professions that can do that. But, you know, it's much cheaper to get an AI to do it. At least this is less annoying than the Luke Skywalker debacle because at least because at least Darth Vader is speaking through a voice filter, so at least that made more sense as opposed to, hey, we could go ahead and hire a voice actor to just voice the guy who can make a good impression on Mark Hamill, but we're going to be lazy about this and instead just waste our time spending millions on an AI voice. Oh my god. 
but I'm sure AI voice recreation has its place. Like I would, like I would think it would fit more for, you know, the role of pre-fizz phase. Like they just recreate the voices through the script and test how it would work with the actors and whatnot in the pre-fizz phase, and then they get the real human actors to do it instead of it being the script being the final cut. But yeah, uh, yeah. Meanwhile, remember Final Destination? That series that I kind of forgot about? Well, the directors got the gig by faking their death on a Zoom call. So... According to The Hollywood Reporter, the filmmaking duo behind the sci-fi thriller Freaks were already in the running for the Final Destination game, but ultimately sealed their fate when they jumped on a final Zoom pitch with New Line's execs and producers to create a faking of the death moment. Uh, how they set their thing on fire, the mantle began burning, putting an urgent pause on proceedings, the filmmakers quickly extinguished the blaze, and then a ceiling fan came crashing down, decapitated one of the directors. And they realized they pulled a stunt. They reportedly used a combination of pre-recorded footage and visual effects to create the action-packed scene, which is listed last for the crowd to secure their places the director's seats for Final Destination 6, as it's currently known. So they did all that, and I have no idea how to respond to this at all. We'll be back after these messages. Oh god, this is so insane. We'll be back after these after this break. We're back again, everyone. Let's cap this thing off finally. And oh god, that was insane. Last part. So, apparently an unknown Silent Hill game has been raided seemingly in Korea. Yeah, the Game Rating and Administration Committee of Korea has given a rating to a previously unannounced Silent Hill The Short Message. Unfortunately, it's not known what this new game is, or even what platforms will appear on, but some speculate the title could allude to a playable teaser, not unlike PT, the last mainline Silent Hill release. Yeah, man. Probably Pachinko. Or, like, eFootball 2020. Some even said it might be a uh, Silent Silent Hill Arcade. Because, of course. And the last time we had a game, uh, it was... PT, we saw anything official that was supposed to be part of the Silent Hills by Hideo Kojima. And then Hideo Kojima was let go and Konami kind of went under. Yeah. (sighs) 
I'm not looking forward to this after what happened with Metal Gear Survive. Meanwhile, Mario Maker 2, remember that game? Uh, a fan has finished a massive colossal project called that spent and spent seven years across both Mario Maker games to create an entire Mario game which they've dubbed Super Mario Brothers 5. Saying they've been working on this since 2015, trying to create a classic Mario game that plays as if Nintendo created it themselves. And he and it was originally set for the first Mario Maker game, and then when the sequel came out for the Switch, he says he studied his creations and painstakingly imported them block for block from the first game to the second. Oh dear. The key was the addition of World Maker update for Mario Maker 2, allowing players to stitch multiple levels together into full games. For proper world maps, Mario Metroid Mike 64 used it to bring together 40 courses spread across 8 worlds, separated into 3 styles. 24 courses from Super Mario World, 14 from Super Mario Bros. 3, and 2 courses from Super Mario Bros. It's an unofficial love letter to the uh, Nintendo NES and SNES era Mario games. It includes some of the hallmarks of the new touches. With new touches, the seven couplings are end-of-world bosses. There are, there are branching world maps, puzzle courses, and included and more. The gameplay is described as classic Mario, where the troll levels are highly difficult skill challenges that dominate a lot of Mario Maker's user catalog. He's been saying... Metroid Mike 64 said he's been trying to provide you with something Nintendo should have done already, make a full Mario game within Super Mario Maker 2. That's fun as heck. So... Okay, here's what I'm going to say. How about Mario and Nintendo go ahead and not do anything drastic just yet? How about they look at this game in Mario Maker 2 and hopefully not send a cease and desist and said, call him and say, do you want a job? We'll give you a job. Please take the job. Because by freaking God, this guy spent seven years on it for free. And you and Nintendo will probably freak out about this somehow, even though it's within their own game. Therefore, they could make money off of it. They should give this kid a job. Come on, let's do it. Let's get do it. Give Met Metroid Mike 64 a job here. Like, it's not out of the realm of possibility. Let's go. Let's do it. Snap, snap. Speaking of projects uh, of labor of love, we got the HBO series trailer for The Last of Us. I don't know why that had to happen, but okay. And it's starring the guy who stars as the, our fearless leader Mando from Mandalorian. Oh, man. At least, so it seems like Mando is now going to be the actor who always goes ahead and does the, uh, I am the loner, I am the desert loner who likes to befriend kids and look after them for some reason. I do that a lot. 
And then he develops a bond with them, he develops a father-like bond with them, and well, that leads to all hell breaking loose most of the time, but still. And whereas in The Mandalorian, it cost him his status in the, among the Mandalorians because he took off his helmet, whereas this will be the thing that probably dooms all of mankind and gets him killed if they do The Last of Us 2, two infamous stuff. Meanwhile, back with Black Panther, they Kevin Feige discussed how it was much too soon to recast Chadwick Boseman's T'Challa, saying uh, it felt just felt like it was much too soon to recast. <laughs> and how the world's still processing a lot the loss of Chadwick Boseman and everything. I'm mean, like, really, they were. They were damned if you do, damned if you don't, because people, because while people love Chadwick Boseman, they also understood that with his death, there would be no T'Challa unless they recast him. And there were many people that were making their arguments saying why he should be recasted and why he shouldn't be recasted. The biggest reason why they thought he should have been recasted, if they wanted to, was because of all the opportunities we could have gotten with Namor, even though you could just switch him out with Shuri, since, well, she looks like she's going to be the next one. The next Black Panther. Queen? No idea. Her mother might deal with that. But the next Black Panther, most definitely, since she was Black Panther in the comics for a time. And yet people might still say, well, it's not the same because we want T'Challa and Namor's complicated relationship, whereas we're getting Siri and Namor, and some people might make ideas with that because, of course, the internet has that kind of mentality. I'm like, I, I, I'm like, I get both arguments. I probably wouldn't recast T'Challa after Chadwick Boseman's loss. I mean, like... At least the Eternals can get away with that logic because the Eternals, you know, they die and come back and die and come back, and they could theoretically change their physiology and physical and physical appearance every time when they're reborn if they took that offer. So they could get away with that. Whereas this is one single character who doesn't really do that unless you go with multiverse logic. So take it that what you will. Meanwhile, we learn that Al Rickman's secret diary has revealed that how he almost quit the Harry Potter movies. You know Alan Rickman, the Professor Snape? He only quit the famous films, published in the Guardian extracts of the diaries real that it wasn't all fun and wizardry behind the scenes of Harry Potter, at least not for Rickman. Uh, he wrote in December 2002 that, yeah... They probably don't want to do that again. He doesn't want to... He was thinking of leaving. And there's these excerpts from 2002 to 2005. And, uh... Yeah. And eventually when he was sick with prostate cancer in 2005, and he kept sticking with Harry Potter. And... Yeah. I wonder how we would feel now knowing with the legacy of Harry Potter is kind of muddied by J.K. Rowling and what she's done. So, moving on from that. Uh, so, the actor who plays Namor has confirmed a major Namor theory. 
while they are changing a lot of stuff because they don't want to relate to Atlantis and Aquaman because Aquaman's already around, even though I don't think anyone would have fought would have been that. I don't think people like I, I'm gonna give people credit. They, we are a dumb species, but we are not that explicitly dumb to think, oh, so where's Aquaman? Where's Aquaman in this? Like, you would think, this is not the DC universe. There's clearly a major distinction between the two. So they would know that this is not the same same friendly Atlantis. This is, in fact, Namor, who is the biggest stick in the mud ever. Well, despite all the changes moving on from a Atlantean vibe to an Aztecian vibe, with Mesoamerica religious ideologies involved, they are keeping one major detail about him that isn't changing. Namor is still a mutant, often described as Marvel's first mutant in the comics because his father is human and his mother Atlantean. Namor carries the mutant gene, possesses certain powers to set him apart from his fellow Atlanteans. Especially, um... So this will be the third major mutant character to appear in the MCU. Previously, there was Patrick Stewart, who played Ex Professor Xavier in the Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness as a different variation of him. And then we got the twist with Kamala Khan, no being reimagined as a mutant in the MCU, as opposed to being an Inhuman, because they never established the Inhumans anymore, outside of the main Marvel MCU, at the failure of the show. And, well... I don't know if there was a plan at one point to have Kamala be originally a mutant. I think they teased that at one point, and she did think she was a mutant. But then they re reveal she's an inhuman and all that hijinks is doing. But was there a plan at one point for her to be a mutant the whole time? And the timing was just convenient. But they scrapped it because Z-O-M-G, we hate X-Men now. Because, of course, they did at the time. Remember that little thing that the Lost Decade, as Hickman called it? Yeah, we remember that. And we don't forget. <laughs> Meanwhile, Blaze Blue Creator has announced he is leaving Arc System Works after almost 20 years, starting the comp working for the company back in 2003 saying that he will be departing the company after many years, saying how he first joined after working on Guilty Gear at 10 as an employee for PickPack, and I share as many experiences I had during my 20 years there, whether it was working for various fighting game titles, developing my own title, Blaze Blue, or connecting with many of our users. I have nothing but gratitude towards the staff of Arc System Works and the others who have worked with me, as well as all the users who supported us. Thank you for the bottom of my heart. I will depart Arc System Works. This may cause some feelings of anxiety, especially among fans of the Blaze Blue series. For this, I sincerely apologize. <sighs> so, yeah. Heck, even the like how many veterans in Japanese video game industry have moved on from places where they first established their names or retired recently, such as uh, the Yakuza creator leaving Sega to establish his own studio with NetEase, Kingdom Hearts and Final Fantasy producer Senji, I can't pronounce his last name, left Square Enix back in May, and considering Square Enix sold a whole bunch of their properties for magic NFT beans, I'm not surprised. Meanwhile, in Finland, Netflix has opened their own internal game studio with an untitled name. So we'll just call it Netflix Games. 
part of their mobile studio operations and saying uh, to build world-class game studios that will bring a variety of delight and deeply engaging original games with no ads and no in-app purchases to our hundreds of millions of members around the world. Still in its early days, Korean game that can take years, so I'm proud to see how we're steadily building the foundation of our game studio in our first year and look forward to sharing what we produce in the coming years. So... Yeah, uh, get ready for that. And last but not certainly not least, uh, it was certainly worth it, I think they thought. The quest director of Cyberpunk 2077 gets emotional about the resurgence it's having. Speaking to his fans on his Twitch channel, quest director Paolo Sasco. I'm pretty sure I butchered that, I'm sorry, explains what it means to see the game being picked up by so many so long after its original launch, saying this, It's hard to express when you're putting so much hard and work into something, and you know for some of us it's been six, seven, eight years sometimes, especially those who started at the very beginning, so to have this moment of people liking something we did, it's feeling really a bit unreal. That's finally people are appreciating it. After the release, I couldn't believe it. After some time I did, but at the beginning, I couldn't believe. And I remember, my dear girlfriend, she would see me completely f***ing-wrecked. But it's good to be back. It's effing good to be back. That's really so heartbreaking. That was really so heartbreaking. So, yeah, it's the huge amount of criticisms and horrible disasters uh, with the game. They had to make a bunch of big, big updates and bug fixes the game's lifespan to this day, and then they had the big popularity boost thanks to the Cyberpunk Edge Runners game, and well, it's getting positive reviews. So, yeah, congratulations to the quest director. I, I'm glad he's happy. We were still screwed at the beginning, but so that's probably never gonna go away. But that, but that's just me. So. Yeah, this was Near Reality Collective. Hoping to see y'all again next time. Uh, there's currently other topics going on around the gaming industry this week. I'll be sure to catch up on that later down the road. But we'll have to see, and I look forward to seeing you all again next time. Take care, enjoy this last out outro and ad break, and we'll see you all again next time. Peace. Be sure to donate to the brand and keep up to date with additional content on YouTube channels, such as Neo Reality Entertainment, NRE The Wrestleverse, and NRE Pop Culture Omniversa.